Hi, I'm John Russo, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Thank you for stopping by for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. This is episode 385 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this week, it's our Halloween special. And John A. Russo is going to be joining us. John was the co-writer of The Night of the Living Dead, the classic horror Everybody knows from 1968, if you have not seen this movie, be sure to watch it because it's going to be, I'm sure it's uh, all this week, it's going to be on TV for Halloween and everything. And uh, it's a great film, so be sure to check that out. Night of the Living Dead. And John A. Russo is going to be here, and he's going to talk about it. And uh, also this week, we are going to be looking at what's coming your way as far as releases in theaters on dvd and on blu-ray so we've got a lot of things going on and what do you say let's get right into it it's time for remake madness on on screen and beyond remake madness as far as releases coming out in theaters in november november 6th you can look for the peanuts gang to come back to the big screen once again with the peanuts movie with snoopy and charlie brown and Frankenstein gets retold once again in Victor Frankenstein on November 25th as the story is retold with Daniel Radcliffe and James McAvoy this time. And that's it for remakes coming your way in theaters in November. And it's time to look at what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies right here on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming new movies coming your way in... November in theaters, Trumbo stars Brian Cranston, Ella Fanning, and Diane Ladd as a 1940s Hollywood screenwriter gets blacklisted. That heads our way on November 6th, and Rachel McAdams and Mark Ruffalo will be starring in Spotlight as a true life story of newspeople uncovering child molestation and the church. That comes our way on November 6th. Also on November 6th, lots of movies coming out. Drew Barrymore stars in Miss You Already, telling the story of a true friendship. And uh, the 33 will bring the story of the trapped Jelaine Miners in 2010. And that hits uh, theaters on November 13th. And the uh, release also stars Antonio Banderas and James Brolin. November 13th, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt star in By the Sea. November 20th, Kate Blanchett stars in Carol as two women have an unexpected love affair in the 50s. And Julia Roberts and Nicole Kinman will star in The Secret in Their Eyes on November 20th. Also on November 20th, Tom Hardy. He's going to be playing two characters in Legend. He's really going to show his acting chops there. And that's uh, all happens in the 60s. It's a crime thriller. Looks like a good film. And The Night Before on November 20th stars Seth Rogen. And it's a comedy, of course. And on November 25th, The Good Dinosaur from Pixar and Disney will be hitting uh, theaters. So, 
That's it for upcoming new movies in theaters in November. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, time for Sequel City and find out what's coming away in theaters in November as far as sequels. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Sequel City coming your way in theaters in November. It looks like James Bond. That's right, Bond. James Bond returns on November 6th in Spectra and The Hunger Games Mocking Jay Part 2. Jennifer Lawrence will be heading our way on November 20th. And on November 25th, Creed brings back Rocky. He's going to be on the outside of the ring this time. He's going to be the trainer. And that's it for upcoming sequels in theaters in November. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On. TV on DVD, coming our way in November. TV on DVD, coming our way in November. Well, Batman, that's uh, the 60s series. Season 3 will be heading our way on November 3rd. Also on November 3rd, you can get Black Sails Season 2, Californication, the complete series, Empire Season 1. Game of Thrones, Season 1 and Season 2. And that's the Steelbook Collector's Set. And that's going to be Blu-ray, too. And I Love Lucy, the complete series. Star Trek, the complete series. The remastered edition. And that 70s show, the complete series on Blu-ray. November 10th, get Better Call Saul. That's Season 1. Dick Van Dyke Show, complete series remastered. Manimal, complete series. Maud. Season 3, WKRP in Cincinnati, Season 4. November 17th, look for none other than McHale's Navy, the complete series, The Rebels, Season 2, and Sergeant Bilko, the Phil Silver Show, Season 4. November 24th, you can get Inside Amy Schumer, and that's Season 3. That's it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD in November? Movies coming your way in November on DVD. It looks like uh, November 3rd. You can get The End of the Tour with Jason Siegel. And you can also get Inside Out with Amy Poehler. And Vacation with Christina Applegate. November 10th, you can get Mr. Holmes with Ian McKellen. And Selfless with Ryan Reynolds. Terminator Genesis with who else? But Arnold, Trainwreck with Amy Schumer will be coming your way. And on November 17th, you can look for The Man from Uncle will be coming our way. And American Ultra with Jesse Eisenberg. On November 24th, No Escape with Pierce Brosnan, Ricky and the Flash with Meryl Streep, and Sean. The Sheep Movie will be coming our way on November 24th. And that's it for movies coming our way on DVD in November. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthdays. 
We baked you a birthday cake. If you get a tummy ache and you moan and groan and woe, don't forget we told you so. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> Celebrity birthdays, well, on October 25th. Katy Perry turns 31, Marion Ross turns 87, and Helen Reddy turns 74. October 26, it looks like Keith Urban turns 48, Pat Sajak turns 69, and Jacqueline Smith turns 70. And on October 27th, it's John Cleese turning 76. October 28th, Julia Roberts turns 48, and Annie Potts turns 63, and Charlie Daniels, Devil Went Down to Georgia, turning 79. October 29th, you can look for Wyona Ryder to be 44, and Kate Jackson turns 67. And on October 30th, Henry Winkler turns 70, and Grace Slick turns 76. And on October 31st, Rob Schneider turns 52, Deidre Hall turns 68, and Peter Jackson, the director, turns 54. That's it for celebrity birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, Candy J of San Francisco, California, turns 36 on October 28th. If you, a friend, or a relative are celebrating a birthday, send it to us here at On Screen and Beyond. I will be sure to get it on, and all of us here will be wishing you a very happy birthday. Well, Halloween is here. Things are getting spooky out there. So here at On Screen and Beyond, we're going to bring you a story of sort of Halloween. Kind of scary. It's all about a movie that was made back in the 60s. And it's a great movie. It's one that's going to just scare the crap out of you. <laughs> that's, that's about what it is. And um, we have the guy who was the co-writer of that movie. John A. Russo is going to be joining us here at On Screen to Beyond. And he's going to tell us the behind the scenes of the making of Night of the Living Dead, how it was written, how did they make it, what did they do, just so many things that just went on. And, and it's a fascinating story. John Russo, next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining us today on On Screen and Beyond is a writer, director, and producer who in 1968 co-wrote the classic zombie horror movie, Night of the Living Dead. It's John Russo. John, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Brian. John, it's, I mean, it's no secret, Night of the Living Dead is probably one of my favorite horror movies, <laughs> and I've always loved it. And uh, what made you come up with that movie? How did you, I mean, nothing like that had ever been made. How did you come up with the idea? Uh, it's a bit of a long story. I'll try to tell it briefly. But uh, basically, um, George Romero, Russ Streiner, Gary Streiner, Vince Servinsky, and I, the basically the people that we had a little company called The Late Image Inc. in Pittsburgh, and and uh, Russ and George had founded that company just before I left for the Army. And uh, the idea was to uh, to make uh, TV commercials and industrial films and whatever to build up equipment and hopefully uh, enough money to make a feature movie because that was our real goal, that we wanted to just 
you know, be feature filmmakers. Mm-hmm. So it took us probably about seven years to to acquire all the equipment necessary, and we slept on the floor and studio floor, and you know, went sometimes three, four days without sleep, and had uh, learned the craft uh, of filmmaking from the ground up, and and. And, and had our walls. By that time, we had our walls covered with awards for our uh, commercial work, and had had some several feature projects that fell through. Usually, when people that were supposed to provide the financing reneged or turned out to be thieves or, or liars. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one day, uh, George Romero and I were having lunch with Richard Ritchie, who turned out. Later, he turned out to be the first zombie shot in the head in Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> but he was working for an ad agency and sometimes threw some work our way. And so uh, we, George and I were bitching about our fickle uh, commercial clients who came to us when they needed a good job done for, for low money mm-hmm. and, then, and always promised to bring the next big job to us, but seldom did. Richard said, well, why don't you do something about it? And I said, well, you know, we have that 35-millimeter camera now. We had just bought one the previous week with $3,500, an old blimp Paraflex. And a blimp is an 80-pound housing for for a camera. And the only reason for a blimp was to hold in the sound of the camera gear so you could do lip-sync takes without getting the grinding noise of the camera onto the takes. You don't need that now. Cameras are self-blimps. So uh, I said, we ought to be able to make a horror film that's uh, better than these things we're seeing on late-night television on the spook shows mm-hmm. and so on. And if we shot 35 millimeter and work printed you know, down to 16 millimeter, that because all of our editing, mixing, and dubbing equipment was in 16 millimeter, then we could maybe, maybe make a, a movie. And uh, so... If ten of us kicked in six hundred bucks each, we would have six thousand dollars, and we could probably do it for that. So, and, and George got all excited, like he always did. Any time uh, it was making a feature movie was in the offing, he says, "We're going to make a movie!" He yelled and banged the table with his hand, fist, and bottles and glasses flew everywhere, and people stared at us. Richard took a drag on his cigarette and let the smoke out slowly and said, you're nuts. (laughs) And I said, well, do you want in or not? He thought for a minute. He had this overly dramatic way of presenting himself. And he thought for a second and blew smoke rings and said, I'm in. (laughs) Wow. So, So after lunch, George and I went back to our little studio around the corner. This is in downtown Pittsburgh. And uh, told Russ about the idea, and he immediately was in, and Gary was in, and Vince was in. And uh, Russ said, well, let me go do some, put some figures together. So he comes out of his office two hours later and says, I got bad news. We can't do it for $6,000. It's going to take closer to $12,000. Well, George went in the the dumps, all depressed, and, you know, uh uh-oh, we're not going to make a movie. And I thought for a couple minutes, I said, well, you know, the first 10 people who put in the 600 bucks each, we're going to be the people that work on the movie and act in it and so on. And the other, the next 10 people, we're going to get six shares each for 
$600. And the next people, the next 10 people, they're just going to get two shares for their money. And so that's, that's how we put it together and started raising a little bit of money. And, and then we thought, we started kicking around ideas for what the movie would be. And the, one of the early ideas was that these teenage, it was almost E.T. before there was E.T. Hmm. Because it, it, it had some, we had some kids that were teenage kids from outer space land on Earth befriend some earth kids and the earth kids are kind of rascals and so with the, the special powers that the, that these alien kids have the the earth kids are able to wreak kind of havoc in the town stealing cases of beer and, and doing pranks and befuddling this sheriff that we called sheriff suck and we're putting this idea together and then we're thinking well we have to have the kids in some kind of spacecraft and show a landing and then we realized we couldn't really afford that. Mm-hmm. So we moved over into thinking about horror scripts. George and I were the two writers of the group. And so and he, we were also the ones that mostly hung around, stayed at the studio all, you know, for all kinds of hours and went for walks uh, on breaks and talked about ideas and every other thing under the sun. And so... I had an editing room and George had an editing room and we had typewriters in each editing room. So he'd work on one typewriter and I'd work on the other and we'd compare notes and bash ideas around. So uh, I said that whatever we did should start in a cemetery and uh, because people find cemeteries spooky, mm-hmm. even in, you know, uh, Abbott and Costello meet, meet Dracula, it's it's funny, but it's scary right. when they're in that cemetery and with the casket and all that kind of thing, and the candles are moving around the casket and mm-hmm. so on. And uh, so I was uh, working on an idea where these earth, these kids were in the cemetery and, and stealing a case of beer, and you know, and and then uh, later one of them is running away from home and, and steps through crack he steps through a pane of glass that's in, that's embedded in the ground and under that pane of glass is a rotting corpse mm-hmm. and my idea was i wouldn't need, really need to show a saucer landing or anything but it was about aliens who come to earth in search of human flesh and when they kill a, a human being they they put the body under glass to rot like it's like in a, in a hot house mm-hmm. kind of yeah. thing, you know yeah. where you raise tomatoes or something and uh and then, in the meantime, George came up, came, he went away for a weekend. I didn't see him over Christmas, and he come before Christmas, and he comes back with a story that, in essence, became eventually the beginning of Night of the Living Dead. Uh, and it had to do with a, the, the, the couple putting the wreath on a grave, and, and the girl gets chased, and the brother gets his head bashed against the tombstone, and so on. I said, well, George, this has all the right twists and turns and suspense, but you don't say who who are who are these uh, people or creatures chasing this girl? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, reading it, it struck me that they could be dead people. And he said, that's good. <laughs> and I said, but what are they after? You don't say that either. They don't claw. They don't bite. They don't. What? Are, what? Why are they chasing her? And he said, he didn't know. 
And I said, why don't we use my flesh-eating idea? He said, that's good. So that's how they became dead people in search of human flesh. And without those two ideas, you don't have Night of the Living Dead or anything that came after it. Yeah, wow. Uh, and, and so we set about uh, just making the best film that we could and the best script that we could to start with. We had gone to see all the horror films that came around and always hoping to see something good, and you almost never did. It was always Attack of the Giant, Praying Madison, Attack of the... Right, yeah. The, you know, the the giant crab and the giant ant and the giant yeah. <laughs> snail and the giant caterpillar, all with the same trite plot where the drunk would see something that nobody believed him, and then the drunk would get killed, but nobody would know why. And then the scientist would... Oh, this looks like caterpillar slime, but there's a lot of it. <laughs> oh, it is caterpillar slime. We must be dealing with a giant caterpillar. And then the National Guard would come in at the end with tanks and flamethrowers and kill the creature, and that's that's how all these things went. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah. You know, um, Did you ever... Some ideas around. I kind of took the lead in the script discussions, and yeah. George had written his thing in story form up to the point roughly where the people come up from the basement and I took that rewrote it put it in the thought I thought it made it better and uh, wrote it put it in screen screenplay form and then I wrote the second half of the script myself hmm. and then I when it was done I which only took me about three weeks I George and I went out to Rudy Ritchie's house he was Richard's cousin and, and one of the original ten people also and and um, so uh, we were going to grill steaks and, and drink wine, and that's we did that pretty often at Rudy's house, only a few minutes from the studio. And George read the script, and he said, there's something wrong with it. Here, Rudy, you read it. So he handed it to Rudy, and Rudy read it and said, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. And then George thought for a minute, and he and I know what's what's wrong. He said, we need another siege. And by that, he meant that it would be good to have, about three-quarters of the way through the film, it would be good to have uh, a point where the where the ghouls almost break into the house but don't succeed, and then later they do uh, break in and overrun the house. So that's what, what we did. We didn't write it. We just did it. Wow. And there were other things we changed during the filming, but nothing was really written uh, in the dish. You know, they were just changes that could automatically be done. Like, when I, in my uh, version, well, it's the only version of the script that exists, the little girl in the basement was a little boy named Timmy. And Carl Hardman said, well, my daughter can play that part, so that's how it became a little girl, and all we did was change her name to Karen, and she only has one, two words to say, mm -hmm. I heard, you know. Mm -hmm. So Jeez. the cemetery caretaker was, as originally written, he was a 42-year-old, well, the, the Tom character was a 42-year-old cemetery caretaker hiding in the basement with the Cooper family, but we wanted to have Ju a young, good-looking girl in the movie, and uh, we all liked Judy Ridley. We were all smitten with her, actually. She was so beautiful. And we, so we just made the Tom character younger and gave him a girlfriend, and that was Judy. <laughs> but we needed a scene where 
where to establish empathy for the young couple before they get blown up in the truck and and the, we were so tired and you know we were really pretty pretty uh stressed out and exhausted during the filming and Keith Wayne who was playing with Tom was he was a singer and he was flying in from a gig in Washington DC and uh he was going to be there in two hours, and George and I were all punchy and tired, and we had to come up with a, some kind of a scene. And I was so glad when George finally, George ended up writing that scene, and we knew they would be making Molotov cocktails and what they were going to say or talk about. We didn't know. George ended up writing the scene, which is kind of schmaltzy, but I was so punched off, I thought it was good <laughs> <laughs> at the time. And it worked, you know. It worked. You know. Remember when we had to get the Willer? <laughs> Give me a smile. Show me that smile. Right. Smiley, that kind of thing. And you know. And so that was basically that was the only you know extended piece of writing that was added to the. The other changes were all changes that could just be done. You know, like bringing the brother back to. Drag Barbara out of the house, and mm-hmm. in, in the first, uh, in the in the draft, uh, the, like I said, the only script that exists, Barbara survived. And the way I wrote it was that uh, Ben does come up from the basement. They both make it to the basement when the farmhouse is overrun, and uh, then Ben comes up and he does get shot by accident, which was also my idea. Mm-hmm. And then, and then. Uh, uh, the, the sheriff and the deputy make their way into the house and all the rubble and down into the basement. They're about to shoot Barb, Barbara in the head, but then a tear rolls down her face, and that tells them she's human, and they don't shoot her. In the last scene, uh, the sh- sheriff or the deputy's handing, trying to get Barbara to, she's huddled there with that trench coat and, and uh, outside of the farmhouse, and they're trying to get her to take some coffee. And in the background, you see Ben's body being carried out to the bonfire. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, now, did you bring somebody thought that, of bringing the brother back? I don't think it was me. It was somebody. We talked about whether the audience would, you know, because it we it was pretty clear in our minds that the, the, his head's bashed against the tombstone. He's 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 dead. He can't turn mm-hmm. into a zombie. Yeah. Then we talked about it. Well, it would be such a dramatic thing if he comes back and drags Barbara out, out of the house into the swarm of zombies. And but would that work? And so we reasoned. Well, his brain might not be completely destroyed by a smack against a tombstone, and people would probably buy it that he can come back. And so we did it. And, and it's you know one of the most powerful moments in the movie, wow. as it turns out. Yeah. Did you ever imagine that? I told you it would that, take a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Did you imagine, though, that when you were writing this, that 
you know, 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years, who knows, it'll, it'll go on forever, uh, that, it, that the movie would still be talked about and enjoyed. Well, you probably saw the shot of me that was taken at the, uh, at the classic Hall of Fame thing. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that, uh, that's when I first got into makeup when I had that white shirt on. Mm-hmm. And I said, I always tell people, yeah, I knew everything. And I knew it was going to be a classic. And the <laughs> proof is that I wore that white shirt so I'd have a good place to sign my autograph. <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but that's a joke. No. Right, yeah. No. So, but we had total faith. We knew we were making a good movie, and mm-hmm. we were, uh, we were by because of the dozens and dozens of all kinds of films we had done. We were really a tight knit production unit. And the thing is, we were all highly talented in in, in many areas. Yeah, wow. Uh, you know, we all wore many hats, and when making that film with almost, you know, six or eight people. That's all, and uh, for the most part, and and but nobody needed to be told what to do. Everybody understood, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody put out one hundred and fifty percent effort. Yeah, and it, and it was the right kind of effort. There were no blunders. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it comes because well, we were just a, just a very tightly knit. Production unit and solidly behind George as the director, and George George did a wonderful job, even with not much film stock and running out of film stock and everything else. <laughs> a lot of those things were one take with thirty five millimeter, just ju- just winging it, you know, rehearsing well mm-hmm. and all the actors' movements and the follow focuses and everything else that needed to be done, but but making it work and if we would have got a scratch, a laboratory scratch on that footage, we'd have been sunk because the farmhouse was going to be bulldozed. Oh, wow. And we couldn't go back and reshoot. Huh. And you used the, you were in the film too, correct? Well, that's what I said. I was that shot, that, the, the, that, that the, still yeah. photo of me with the trophy, and I'm standing by that, that shot of me that uh, Darren had blown up. I mean, Derek had yeah. blown up. Yeah. Yeah, I was the. I was going to be. I got into that makeup in the cemetery because the only people there were uh, Russ and Judy, who were in the scene, mm-hmm. uh, and and um, and then uh, uh, the crew was me, George, Vince, Servinsky, Gary, and uh, Rudy Ritchie. who was out there helping. That was it, and uh, so so. Uh, Nobody was there to be the zombie, and I got into that makeup. Yeah. Earl Hartman helped me with the makeup and took that photo yeah. in the cemetery. Then Bill Heisman shows up, and I said, good, you be the zombie. He showed up with a black suit. And he had this cadaverous look. He was so thin back then. I said, good, you be the zombie, and I'll keep loading magazines and other things. Hmm. And that's, so you... Later, I, the same thing, we're shooting the scene with the... the uh, Zombie to get the fights with Dwayne and gets the tire iron in the head, mm-hmm. and uh, so I did that. Then I get into that makeup again, and I took the jacket off and ripped the shirt up, uh, and so <laughs> on. And I was the one that sneaks into the house and almost gets the girl, and then we fight. He puts the tire iron in my head. I also did the Molotov cocktail stunt. And George and I, we uh, we were talking there at the farmhouse and. We stayed there, me, George, Gary, and Vince, because we couldn't even afford to have somebody 
security guarding our equipment or something. So so when driving back and forth would have been a hassle and dangerous, you know, with no sleep and all that. So we stayed there, and George and I were talking. I said, you know, we're going to be throwing these Molotov cocktails. We've made the point that they're just dead flesh, and they go up pretty easy. And if we throw all these Molotov cocktails into the yard and nobody catches on fire, we're going to look stupid. Mm. And George said, well, we don't have an, a stuntman. We don't have an asbestos suit and all that. And I said, well, fuck, I'll do it. <laughs> so I just put a, uh, you know, I wore tight Levi's and I found, I pulled a, a rumpled brown suit out of a pile of Goodwill clothing that was there for zombie extras. And I put that on over the Levi's. And then uh, on when we shot the stuff, um, the scene, uh, we set the camera, me and George and the rest, and uh, then I stood, uh, got in position, and then and then Carl Hardman made a puddle of gasoline around me, and then and then a trail of gasoline up my leg and back. And on action, Carl would throw a match into the puddle, the whole puddle would ignite and go up my leg and back, and I had this, I would stagger like a zombie until. I felt my hair being singed, and then I was, by that time, there I could I could fall and roll over the hill where people were waiting with blankets to smother the flames. Wow, that's got incredible! Three takes, and they're all in the movie, all three different angles. So, but I always remember, and I tell people about. I can see it to this day. Carl throwing that match and having this gleeful look on his face because we're getting such a great stunt for our low budget movie. Uh, you're lucky. <laughs> you know, later, Vince, later, Vince said, "Well, yeah, we had it under control, kind of." But he said, "What I was worried about <laughs> was that the fumes of the gasoline can actually envelop your body, and they can go up, and so you, oh. you don't just have to worry about the gasoline that's trailing your leg and back, but the fumes around you that might gather around you." Well, I didn't. My head wasn't thinking about that, and I guess. On a certain kind of day, that could have happened, but it didn't. Jeez. So, <laughs> then I was the general's driver in the Washington, D.C. scene and in my Army uniform, which I had just gotten out of the Army a few years before. And uh, lots of times when you see hands just reaching into shots like, 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 well, that would be me and George going around with the camera when nobody else was there. And doing pickup shots. Wow. Saying, hey, George, hey, George, <laughs> let's have some hands reaching in like they almost got down before he breaks back, you know, into the door and beats the shit out of Carl. Wow. It, you know, but those kind of touches we all knew to do because of, you know, we yeah. really knew how to stage uh, movies and mm-hmm. scenes and walk action and every other thing. You did what you had to do. Long experience of learning, the, you know, the commercials we made. I, I lately and recently, I've been thinking about, and I said, you know, what? When I have filmmaking students and so on and so on, and they do their sample films and so on, a lot of times they don't quite work. They don't get it right away, you know. Mm-hmm. But everything we did worked. I mean, we had that that. Uh, that insight, that flair, and that, that uh, you, you know, just capability that uh, we were smart. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and, and the stuff had to work. You couldn't have 
a commercial client, a TV, you couldn't make a TV spot that didn't play. Yeah. It had to play, it had to have Snap, it had to sell the product, and it had uh, the same with the industrials, the political commercials, and every other thing we did. We supplied things to the clients that worked and won awards and had the right pacing and blocking and everything. You know, and so I don't know. I'm just saying that and everybody went on to have successful careers and all the key people did. Yeah. Wow. You know, well, so I'm saying and I said that in my 1985 Complete Night of the Living Dead film book. And because I talked about what people were doing afterwards, you know, at least up through 1985, and Gary had a big career in advertising and you know, work with Jerry Seinfeld and Frank Sinatra, and he, he worked on the Saturn campaign when they started making Saturns, and you know, won uh, awards in the at Cannes for, for for his commercial work. Russ uh, worked for a major ad agency and founded the Pittsburgh Film Office, and thanks to his efforts, he's still the chairman of it. And we're, you know, Pittsburgh. Uh, has uh, uh, there's always like five or six hundred, fifty, sixty, hundred million dollar films being shot in Pittsburgh now. Huh. We used to say that it was hard to get investors in film, I and mean, we had all kinds of the people in Pittsburgh understood investing in a ball bearing company, but not a movie. Wow. So yeah. Now that's pretty much changed, and we did that. We were the pioneers, you know. Jeez. Hmm. In fact, we were the pioneers for everybody. Everybody right. that, that came out and learned from us how to put a few bucks together and, and make a movie. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Tarantino, when I met him at the Land of the Dead premiere in Pittsburgh, he said, you're the guy that wrote the books. And I thought, I said, which books? Because I've written about you know 20-some novels at this point, right. three books on filmmaking. And he said the movie-making books. And then later we were having a drink at the bar and, he said, you know, he said, I made a movie I didn't finish, and then I read your books, and I took notes and made charts, and that's what guided me through my complete, my first complete movie. Pretty high compliment from a two-time Oscar winner. Yeah, and that's still happening. People, you know, not just Clinton, but lots and lots of people learned from us mm-hmm. and from my books, and famous filmmakers, and some not so famous. Yeah. Wow, that's that's the gratifying thing about it, you know, that we did pave the way. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Got ripped off for millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, I know that's the bad part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, the downside, but yeah. you know. Well, John, but, uh, I know we're we're running out of time, but I'd like to finish up okay. with two quick questions. Sure. Uh, taking us away from your classic film, definitely. Um, what do you watch for movies and TV shows? What are your favorite movies and TV shows? New or old? Well, I don't, I don't watch too many horror films anymore for the simple reason that I don't want to be influenced by other people's ideas and I don't want to have to wonder if I would have had a certain idea mm-hmm. if I didn't yeah. see somebody else's thing. So, And besides, that's not my main interest. I'm a political junkie. I'm a progressive Democrat. <laughs> but what... For instance, well, one of my favorite, really, really top favorite things is the Rome series from on HBO. Yes, yeah. It's 35 hours. It's just magnificent in every respect. And 35 hours, and I've watched it five times and bought both seasons. And I don't buy a lot of films. I don't, I don't, not a film collector either. I, I just collect a few things that I really love, like, you know, my cousin Vinny, the Godfather films, mm, Pulp Fiction, yeah. uh, 
um, the um, uh, Goodfellas, you know, those things, just yeah. just great films. So, and the, but I love the you know every I mean you pick, pick out through the down through the decades, you know, like the William Wyler World War II films. Since you went away in the best years of our lives, are really great films. Classic, yes. Uh, you know, as far as horror, uh, the the films that taught me that you could really do something good in the genre and with the kinds of, you know, what I wanted to, to make something just as good as uh, were, were uh, the, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It was maybe mm-hmm. the first horror film other than Psycho. Yeah, it's a good one. I want to consider that. That, uh, that, uh, that just knocked me out. And I said, you know, if we can make a film that has people walking out of the theater with those same shocked looks on their faces, then we'd really have something. And all of us wanted to make a film that gave horror fans their, their money's worth. And I think that's what you have to do as a filmmaker or artist of any type. You have to you want to give the people the best you can. Well, you certainly did with Night of the Living Dead, that's for sure. And, John, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share with us, and uh, I, I thank you for, for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, and I'm sorry I warned you that if I told you about that, how the script came about, it would take a while. That's fascinating. Look for my new film we're shooting in November, My Uncle John is a Zombie. Oh, oh, yeah. And you can look on the, uh, uh, so if you, if you, we actually have an Indiegogo campaign down to its last day, but we made a target. And it's uh, My Uncle John is a Zombie. You can look it up, or you could go to my website com, and you'll see all about that film. I'm playing Uncle John. Mm, okay. <laughs> and you'll see why and how it happened. Right. Okay. Good. A big thank you going out to John A. Russo for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. And uh, like I've said it before, because we've had other people from the, the movie on here at On Screen and Beyond. And um, that's one of those movies that has always stuck with me. I, you know, like I said, it, it, because when I was a kid, I saw it, and it just scared the heck out of me. And it's just one of those movies that uh, you just want to see over and over. And uh, it's just a, just a great film. So check it out. We've got a lot more interviews coming your way for the rest of the year. And, of course, we're just going to keep going here at On Screen and Beyond. If you would uh, do us a favor... And go to iTunes and leave us a review. That'll help get more people to hear about On Screen and Beyond. And uh, we just keep going up and up and up as far as listeners here. And we want to to tell a friend and get it out there so uh, everybody can have a good time listening to these people. They just have such great stories. And uh, I was looking at the stats again. It's been it's fun to look at those and. Uh, it's uh, it's everything's moving around. Uh, Spain was in the top five this week. Australia, they've been up there. Um, England dropped out of the top five, and Canada dropped out of the five. So uh, other ones have moved up, and it's just uh, it's just everybody all over the world is listening to on screen to be on. We appreciate it very much. I love your emails. Keep them coming. Get in touch with me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond dot com. Like us on Facebook. So many ways to hear and talk to us. Appreciate it very much. Next week, we got another great guest coming your way, so I hope you're going to join us. For now, it's a wrap for this episode of On Screen and Beyond. Hope you have a happy Halloween. So until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. <music>